0: Hello, and welcome to the Multiplier's Leadership Podcast. A multiplier is someone being transformed into the image of Christ for the sake of neighbors and nations. In this podcast, we are connecting uncommon leaders like you to relationships and resources that will help you multiply the Great Commandment and the Great Commission in your everyday life.
1: Hey everybody. Welcome to the Multiplier's Leadership Podcast. We are so thankful to have you guys We've had a little bit of a break as we ran the new year, but we are back at it and we're going to be rocking and rolling out of the gate. We have our first guest of the new year, which is Fuad Masri. And Fuad is a man, he is an incredible man because he's not only an entrepreneur, an author of more than a dozen books, but he has a deep well of information um, that is matched equally by his passion to be able to reach Muslims with the gospel and ultimately to be able to equip others to do the same. And so, Fawad, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you, guys. It's great to be with you, and Josh. Fawad, yeah, thank you. Thanks for
2: jumping in. Um, y- you are one of those guys that just say yes, and I'm grateful. I think I think that's your that's your pattern with the Lord, and it's fun uh, just to be a part of your world for a minute. Um, we, you and I met. Uh, it's been. More than a decade, and we're actually approaching two decades of friendship. So, 2008, uh, I was coordinating a perspectives class. You were True. you were teaching the class. Uh, both of us much younger men at that <laughs> <True>. point, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a uh, friendship was ignited. And I just remember just being blown away by your, as Joseph said, your knowledge, and and how easy you made it to reach out to Muslim neighbors. And I remember at that time, the statistic was around 7 million Muslims in um, the U S and you had this passion and this, and this competency and a strategy for how to reach out to your Muslim neighbors. And then we brought you into our church to host a, a bridges one day seminar. You're all about building bridges with neighbors and finding common points. Um, it really was just an eye-opening, insightful moment in my development as a young leader, in particular, uh, a globally-minded leader who wants to be a multiplier in the nations for the right. kingdom. Um, and you kind of unlocked and, and and gave me some tools that I want our listeners um, kind of out in the multiply world to gain access to the, for the first time or maybe again. And so thank you so much for... Jumping in, being a part. Here's how I'd like to start. for tell tell us. You know, I'd love for our listeners to hear just a little bit about who you are, your background, and uh, give them a snapshot of uh, the Crescent Project. Thanks you, Josh. It's a joy to be friends. It's a
0: joy to be on this podcast. And also, I just want to tell you, you encourage me as a believer to see your uh, strength and leadership. And I met you, I know, in Peru. Just seeing you leaving your home and going all the way to Peru. It was a beautiful country, by the way, but just seeing you uh, taking action, walking your talk, and I love this podcast, Multiply, because leaders do what needs to be done. We don't do what others necessarily say for us to do or what we like to do. Sometimes we have to do what is needed to be done. In the Great Commission that Jesus gave us, now 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus says to go to all the nations And uh, we found out in our ministry that many times the church is forgetting to teach. What does it mean, the Great Commission? What does that mean? They think it's for special people, maybe for those who want to be missionaries. That's not true. It was given to us as a community to share the best news. The best news is we have a Savior that can release us from sin. We have a Savior that can set us free. We have a Savior that can change our heart and our value system. And so that's the joy I have. And it's true, whenever God opens the door, I feel like, yes, let's take the step and see how God moves. A little bit like Philip. I love the story of Philip. Uh, The Holy Spirit told him, go on the way to Gaza. Go on the road to Gaza. And he said, yes. He would have said no. He was another part of the whole state of, of Israel. But he said, yes. And on the road, he meets the Ethiopian treasurer. And you could tell that that was a divine time a divine moment and uh, that's how the gospel came to ethiopia because philip was able to witness to the ethiopian treasurer and uh, it's a great story for people to read my uh, new testament professor uh, dr kenneth bailey always said don't read the bible too fast every word is inspired and when you read the story how he approached the the carriage, and that was a dangerous spot because the the bodyguards could have struck him with a spear. But he heard the Ethiopian treasurer reading Isaiah. So many times when God opens doors for us as Bible believing leaders, as people who have a mantle, because we are all called to be ambassadors for Jesus, and that's the first thing I want to share with everybody is before we have a job as a teacher or a pastor or a doctor or engineer or nurse, our number one job is representing Jesus, the Messiah. That's why he, Jesus says, you are my ambassadors. Um, now, how I came to faith, and I, I know, uh, Josh, you would like our listeners a little bit to know, my name is Arabic name. Uh, Fuad means uh, loving heart or spiritual heart. Most Arabic names have a meaning. And my father is Lebanese and my mom is Syrian. And the gospel came to our house through my grandfather my grandfather had ran away from the Ottoman Turks and became a believer in a city called Toledo, Ohio, and moved back and died pastoring a church in, uh, outside Damascus in Syria. My, my story is I was born in a home that there was um, Christian values, Christian faith, but my neighbors were, you know, Sunni, Shia, Jews, Catholics, Orthodox, uh, Evangelicals. Well, Lebanon is a very eclectic country. And for those who don't know where Lebanon is, uh, look at the map where Italy is and go a little bit east. You see Greece. After Greece, you see Turkey, Syria, Lebanon, Israel. That's the region I grew up in. Um, my second cousins fought on the Golan and we lost some of our second cousins there. So growing up in that environment, you know, the Israelis, the Jewish people were considered an enemy and I didn't care for them. Then the war started, the civil war started um, April 13, 1975. I was a young teenager, uh, not even 12 years old. And the struggle with that war is uh, we had Lebanese kill Lebanese, Palestinian refugees who had a group called, uh, a militia called uh, the PLO. So they would fight um, the Lebanese and they killed my friend Walid. He was 18 by then. He was walking on a Saturday morning and they killed him. So growing up in that environment, I hated the Palestinians, I hated the, the PLO, and I hated the Israelis. And my solution as a young man was, why don't we take them all to a desert, let them fight there, and whoever wins, give him the piece of land. And it's sad that right now we're seeing more terrorism, not less terrorism, more war, not less, because the idea of eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth never works. (laughs) Jesus told us it never works so in that situation a friend asked me what happens if you die and I said to him I don't believe in God I had such a hard heart and uh, my friend said well it's too late then if you die and there is a God then it's too late so you better uh, find out so I did my research on different religions and what struck me is that the Messiah Jesus Uh, His teachings were different than anyone else. He said, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemies. Uh, uh, Forgive 70 times 7. Do not repay evil with evil, but repay evil with good. So suddenly I was thinking to myself, wow, that is the real solution. The real solution is not just to keep shooting each other. The solution is if somebody has to stop and say, let's have peace, let's live together, let's forgive. And you, you notice historically... The countries that survived war are the countries who did forgiveness, like Germany and France, Germany and UK, you know, after uh, two World War Wars. So you have to forgive, which is a Christian teaching. And um, uh, through a situation, a a friend of our family lost his whole family through bombing. That was the trigger. I was a young man, walked to my room, knelt by my bed, and I said, Lord Jesus, when you came to earth, you healed the sick and you raised the dead. Forgive me that I hate Jewish people and I hate Palestinians. Change my heart. The more there is war, I want to be a soldier of peace. The more there is hate, I want to be a soldier of, p- uh, of love. And God changed my heart. I started praying for the Palestinians. I started praying for the Israelis. I started praying for the Iranians. I had this compelling, over, overwhelming care for people, to, to minister to uh, them, to pray with what, them. How,
2: how old were you at that point? I was, I'm I'm curious. was uh, around
0: 18 years old then. And wow. then, so the, the, okay. and the, the war, many times people ask me, uh, uh, you lived in a civil war, and I agree, it was very tough. Uh, however, I thank God for the war because it made me look at spiritual things faster. You know, what is really life about? Is life just about more cars, more money, more houses? Mm-hmm. Or is life to make a change, to make a difference, to build bridges with people? Even our first training we did, we called it bridges. This is the time to build bridges. Everybody mm-hmm. separates. Everybody. Look at our history. We separated over land and skin color and religion and whatever you yeah. want to call it. You know, and, and yeah. gender. But Jesus brings together. And Christ always says this, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. But that's not the verse. The verse says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, and that fruit will last, so your joy may be full. So suddenly, ah, I am called not only to be saved, I'm not only called to be in the family of Jesus, I am called for a bigger job, a greater job, and, and that's why the kingdom of God can come here. Yes, if every person follows Jesus, yes, the kingdom of God will be here, and the Jesus will be returning as we see the signs increasing we know that
1: his come his return is near well that that's that that's a lot of or that's a really good just journey of some of the history of really what gave you um just a passion for for people and um even you mentioned some of the initial projects that you first began to start um, within the crescent project um now i heard the lord changing your heart um is that what ultimately gave you such a heart for the mus or for muslims or what What really gave you that passion to say, hey, this is what I'm going to pursue with everything I have, with all my time, effort, energy, like this is what I'm going after? What gave you that passion? So once I made that decision, I started talking to people about what God did.
0: i mean, just inviting them. I I had a great church that I was growing up in, great pastor who was very evangelistic. So um, uh, a senior in high school and, and freshman college, I had a good friend, his name is Kamal. And Shia Muslims, I was excited telling him about Jesus. And I remember I said, hey, I want to give you a Bible. And we we're good friends. And he said to me, um, I, don't, I don't want to read the Bible because the Bible has been changed. I said, have you read it? He goes, no. I said, how do you know it's been changed? He goes, well, my dad told me. I said, oh, did your father read it? He goes, no. I said, how does he know? He goes, well, my grandfather told him. I said, did your grandpa study the Bible? He goes, no. His father told him. So it hit me for the first time. That millions of Muslims have never seen a page. Millions of Muslims are told that Christians worship three gods, and when you ask them what three gods they say, God the Father, Mary the Mother, and Jesus the offspring, the baby. And like, what that insults any any Christian hears that like that's an insult. We believe in the Virgin Birth. We believe that Mary was a pure woman. That it's a miracle. So it just. It added to the problem that most Muslims today do not know. And I'm in a country uh, like Lebanon where there's freedom of religion, freedom to explore. So I had this, uh, this uh, kind of calling to say, okay, let's tell Muslims about the good news. If they say yes, hallelujah. If they say no, hallelujah. Let's tell them because the Great Commission, <laughs> the great commission is beautiful. It says go. And make this happen. So those who want to be discipled, disciple them. No, who doesn't? You're still going. You're not stopping. And in my my latest book, Sharing Jesus with Muslims, I put four chapters just on the Great Commission on, on what does that mean that we are going in the name of Jesus. So the exciting part for me personally is I discovered that the Muslims are hungry, but they don't know. It's like they're looking for something, but they don't know where it is. And I remember my friend Kamal, two years after sharing with him, he said to me, everything you say, uh, I want to believe in, but I'm afraid for my mom and dad, my community, they might hurt me. So the problem with that is he's not Muslim because he did his homework. He's Muslim because they told him he's Muslim. So I remember clearly, I haven't talked to him since uh, since sophomore year in college. I said to him, Kamal, this is between you and Jesus. You don't have to tell anybody. Jesus, Jesus wants a relationship with you, not the religion, and he will shine through you. Now, for sure, you know, at some point he cannot hide his faith, but it's not me to tell him when he should declare his faith. That's between him and the Lord. So when, when I started Christian Project in 1993, I had uh, went to a uh, Fuller Seminary, and I did studies in Islamic studies and admissions, and I discovered today 1.9 billion Muslims. of them are nominal Muslims. They've probably never read the Quran. Maybe they heard it chanted. Most Muslims today are in India, Pakistan, Indonesia, Bangladesh. They don't read Arabic. They don't understand Arabic. On top of that, millions of Muslims have never met a practicing Christian. Today, if you take the Muslim world, for every uh, million Muslims living today, there are three Christian workers among them. This means every Christian worker has to share the gospel with three hundred thousand plus people. So when you when people tell me Islam is Muslims are not easy to come, that's not true. They just haven't heard. If you had a million missionaries per million Muslims, I get it. Mission, you know, but very few of them see uh, see the truth or meet a believer. Um, this last October, I was in. Um, I was taken on a train from uh, Heathrow. To Birmingham, and a uh, hijabi Muslim lady said and uh, started asking me some questions. When I when we talked about the sense of Christ, uh, when I said to her we believe in the Virgin Virgin birth, she was shocked. She goes, "Oh, I believe in that because the Quran says that." I said, "Yeah, the Quran borrowed from the Bible, from the Injeel." Uh, but she had she was born in England. She has she's in college now in England, and she had never heard that Christians believe in the virgin birth. And that, as leaders, if my brother and my sister listen, we have to change that. We have to change that because it is not right, it is not just, it's not fair that people in certain countries can pick up a Bible, maybe have 10 Bibles at home, and yet it's banned and illegal in many Muslim homes where they don't know that Jesus has come to say, I come to give you life, a life abundant. So Christian Project exists to share the good news with Muslims, And rally the church, work with the church to cross the street and welcome Muslims.
2: I don't want to interrupt all that you're saying here, but I I wanted to highlight two things really quickly that you said that stuck into my brain. You gave a stat, three Christian uh, missionaries, and maybe not even full-time missionaries, per million Muslims in the world. That's the statistic, correct? Yes, sir. That's wild. And it used to Um, be one per million. So I was in there. Yeah. So we're making progress, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, slowly and surely. Amen. Uh, So the the other thing that you mentioned uh, when when you were telling the story about going from Heathrow to Birmingham, and we're talking uh, the UK, not Alabama, by the way, just for clarity. We'll Um, talk. I something I learned about Muslims maybe uh, a little over a decade ago was they're very interested and having spiritual conversations very, very interested in, in some ways that goes against American culture is we think that people want their religion to be private. And, um, and in some ways that is the American way is, Hey, it's, it's kind of my faith. I don't, it's, it's private, you know, politics and religion, you just keep it to yourself, but Muslims are different. Could you speak to that reality? Um, Yes. Uh, kind of just bouncing off of that story you told about the train. True, 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 very true. Thanks, Josh. One of the things we, when we read the Bible, the Bible teaches that following
0: Jesus is a way of life. It's a way of life. Well, Islam introduces itself as a way of life, but in reality, it's a more of a control. So in Islam, the few think for the many. So, I'll give you a simple thing you look at pictures from Iran, they say, oh, you have to wear the shador. The shador is because you want to show you're a pious woman. Okay, who designed the Shadur? It's not in the Quran. It's not even the Hadith. It doesn't say it has to be black. So it's a few men, the, the Imams, they get together and they decided the Shadur. And so uh, many times uh, Muslim women are told, if you don't wear the hijab, you don't have the scarf on, then you're going to insult God. What, one, one sister who became a believer, her dad told her that he will end up in hell if she doesn't put that. So there's a lot of control. On top of that, Islam is, is a religion of works, so your good works will erase with bad works. But there are a couple of questions in Islam who cannot answer. When do I know I've done enough good works? When? When I do enough good works to cover my sin? Well, the only time if you die in jihad. So I tell Christians, when you see militancy and jihadis, that's a good sign. And people are like, you're crazy for what? No, no, no. If I am thirsty for salvation. If I'm thirsty for forgiveness from God and assurance that I can be saved, and you tell me the only way to die in jihad. So what you're seeing is millions, millions of Muslims being attracted with the jihad because that's a guarantee. Um, I was watching a, a news channel, in a very anti-Christian channel here in America, and they asked the reporter, why two teenage Muslim young ladies, 16 and 18, leave Sweden? They run away from Sweden all the way to join ISIS in Syria. Why? They live in Sweden. It's because they had the hunger for assurance. So why they want to talk about religion is their religion doesn't give them all the answers, number one. Number two, for us, we say it's private. Well, yeah, it's true. It's a private decision. But Jesus told us, how will they know that we are his followers? It says right there, he says they will know us by our fruit. So if, if Jesus, our Lord, is amazing. He says, you don't get figs from thorns. So if you are, so you have to share. Now, it's true, you have to be sensitive, but one of the things we do in, in the ministry is we create avenues for people to share. So one of our avenues is we call it digital outreach, where we invite believers to join, and we equip them, and they're talking to people online. So last year, we had 41,000 hours of sharing the good news with seekers online. And you don't have to go anywhere, just online, because there's such a hunger. And the key thing, always, always, and you you said that, Josh, and and it's very important, is listening. When you listen, it helps you start the conversation. I don't know this person that I sat on the train across from me. I was working on my laptop, but um, she asked me if I was from Egypt. I responded, and then she asked me a Christian question. I have no idea why she thought I was a Christian, you know. But I responded. It was a short conversation. But just that question that she lived in England and never heard of the virgin birth creates in you and I as, as leaders, this is not right. People need to hear. It, it, and, and it's like the shepherds, when they heard the message of the angels, they did not sit. They ran. They ran and told everybody, hey, we saw the baby in the manger. So it's, it's a powerful understanding of life that we have something we want to share, and when you listen, it opens the conversation. You're not offending anybody. She asked, she asked me, Why do you call Jesus Son of God? You know, so I, I responded. So this is where, one of the things we do at Crescent Project. The other thing we found out at Crescent Project is some of the materials we give to Muslims are not clear. And most of the conversations sometimes with Muslims go into politics. Well, It's not bad. What they're saying is, what does your faith tell you about your uh, politics? Well, sure. Jesus told us. Um, Everybody reads the parable, no one builds a tower without counting the cost. But read the second verse. People skip that. The second verse is: no king will declare war unless they know (laughs) they can win. If they cannot win, they send an envoy of peace. Oh, it just, just Jesus just gave us some things that we can ex- ex- uh, share with our Muslim friends right now. What did Jesus say to the Israeli army? What would you say to Hamas? What would you say to the Palestinians? What would you say to the Ukrainians and the Russians? I mean, let, let's take this beyond just one area. Uh, the idea that oh, somehow we're going to create justice, really? Right now, we're going to give justice. We're going to get justice now in any war. You know, g- simple example: six million Jewish people were killed in the Holocaust. How do we give them justice? What, we six, we kill six million Germans? There's no true justice. Only God can be just. That's why Jesus says, forgive. Even I'll take this nitty-gritty here. Between a husband and a wife, how do you get justice between a husband and wife? Why? Because the husband has to be perfect, or the wife has to be perfect? They have to forgive. And, and This is the power of the gospel. It changes your heart. So instead of me looking and say, oh, you hit me first. I'm going to eye for an eye, two for two. It's like, hey, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> this, is, and this is where many people do not like that message. I'll be honest with you today, 2024, people do not like the message of love your enemies. But guess what? It was the same when Jesus said it the first time. The Romans were racist. They were killing people, not because uh, only skin color, but because they were considered less. And Jesus told, told us as his followers then, to love our enemies. So when you look at Hamas, Israel, the war absolutely, you know, October 7 was a disgrace, even as an Arab it's embarrassing when i listen, that was not acceptable to kill innocent people. And uh, yes, it was it was a breach of the borders, that was wrong. Yes, people need to defend themselves. The 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 thing I'm talking about is the core of it. How do you solve conflict? The only way you can solve conflict is changing the value system. And you can tell me to love my neighbor. You can tell me to love my enemies, but without the power of Jesus, I cannot do that. My human power doesn't let me. (laughs) You know, I have all the reasons to hate my enemies, but Jesus can come change
2: us. That's one of the foundational convictions that a Christian gets when you start to follow Jesus is the cross satisfied not only the wrath of God, but the justice Amen. of God, and then and then, but what remains is, and I, I remember in Matthew nine, Jesus says, "Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy." And I think that's what you're saying. And before we jumped on this call, we were we were chatting, and you dropped a phrase uh, that I want you to comment on. But then I want you to take us. We're limited in our view of Hamas, Hezbollah. Um, Israel, Gaza, that whole scenario, the Palestinians, the Jewish people. We want you to go there and, and give us and kind of frame the conflict for us. But this is the quote you gave. You said, peace is rooted in forgiveness, not justice. And that that phrase carries so much weight in why we're dealing with this conflict in the Middle East. Uh, help us frame that conflict from a... Um, a guy that, that's lived in the region, you understand um, the culture, uh, Help. most Americans don't have that framework. We'd love to, to see your perspective.
0: Yeah, um, just because of sake of time, this is what I'll say. In Islam, the jihad was used to leave Arabia and conquer other nations. And the Quran clears, clearly says that uh, Jews are the enemies of Muslims, uh, calls them you know, monkeys, pigs, uh, even the, in Judgment Day or the last days, even the trees and the rocks will tell Muslims where to find a Jewish person to kill. So there's a struggle, religious struggle. On top of a thing, in Islam, there's something called islamicizing the land. Once they took Syria, Jordan, that area, it was all called Syria. And once they took Egypt in North Africa, you islamicize the land, which means the rulers are the Muslims. Unless you're a Muslim, you cannot be a, a first-class citizen. And so it's religious apartheid to the nth degree. Unless you convert, you will not be able to. Uh, they might employ you, you might work, but if you're a Christian, you don't get the same treatment like uh, that. And you see that throughout the Muslim history, all the caliphs from from uh, the Mughals in Iran and uh, where they went into the Sindh in, uh, in India, all the way to Morocco when they entered uh, Morocco and then they entered Spain. The concept was you Islamicize the land. It doesn't matter if most of the people are Muslim. It doesn't matter. One Muslim will rule over a million. He is the, he is the first class. So the struggle today is the uh, the kingdom, I mean it says in the Bible, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea. Not Bethlehem, Palestine. Not Bethlehem, Syria. Not Bethlehem, Jordan. It was Bethlehem, Judea. So he's after the fall of the uh, Jerusalem in 780, the Jewish people were dispersed. Now, for for the sake of history, we're going to jump to 1948. In 1948, uh, there was enough Jewish people on, in this land to declare the state. And they immediately registered in the UN, which was a political maneuver that was very smart. And the first country to accept them in the United Nations was the Soviet Union. Second, I think, was Germany. Third was USA. So they had a seat. The Arab people who lived in that land, um, they, the land was called Palestine, like Lebanon was called Lebanon, but there was no necessarily a state. It was it was a under a yeah. a protectorate. It wasn't yet a state. So King Abdullah the first of Jordan declared war on the state of Israel and reunited the Arab army to attack. So since at that moment, 1948, there were two options: either we make peace with this Jewish state or we make war. Uh, I think Tunisia is the only one that said we need to do peace. Every other country declared war, and the army came in, and they lost the battle. So in the meantime, Abdullah said, if you can leave the country, leave. And once we take the land back, you come back. Well, what happened is once they lost the war, the Israelis closed the border. So nobody who left can come back. In the meantime, any Jewish person in Morocco, Algeria, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Many of them just started coming. Some of them walked even to come to the state because they knew they might suffer a persecution in these nations. Before it was empires; you had the Persian Empire and the Ottoman Empire, and, you know. So, so in forty-eight, that was the issue. And now, because Abdullah decided, King Abdullah the first decided to do peace and stop or start talking to Israel, he was assassinated leaving Al Aqsa Mosque by a group of Muslims who believed. they are resistance so since since inception we've always had these militant groups based on jihad and the jihadi groups continued to grow and after september 11 we've seen more jihadi groups not less and the idea is that if we do jihad we can defeat our enemies america whatever right now today uh, the houthis have been declared by the white house as a terrorist organization Uh, I don't know if this is an Islamophobe move, but we'll see what the news will say. But um, the Houthis are considered uh, terrorists because they're bombing ships. But you have to remember the Houthis are based as a Shia regime in the Council of Jihad, like the Sunnis have a jihad. So all these groups are coming with the concept of fighting in the cause of God, killing the enemies of God. October 7, uh, well, basically the Arabs lost now, 48, then 67, then 73, then uh, uh, 1982, then 2006. So all these wars haven't created any resolution. All it did was kill more people. And, and so the push today is, I I personally think, there is a move in, the, in many Arabs and many Muslims. The idea is, let's finish this. We're tired of more war. There is a line. There is what we call a militant group, about 7%. Of every muslim community believes that it's time to take the sword so we'll see how the generations happen but right now the goal is eye for night to for a tourist. Um, since this happened in october we've been pushed to make a decision we always push to make a side even some people want to use our platform like crescent project to to take a side and we don't want to do this because we want to take the side of jesus who said blessed are the peacemakers because there are no um, there are no solutions that will happen absolutely the terrorists need to be stopped uh, absolutely uh, hamas is a terrorist organization and you know the people of gaza have problems with them too it's not like they're they've been saints but uh, the key is that there's a struggle within the palestinian community and as an arab i'm always uh, heartbroken that there is no real solution. We keep fighting and fighting and fighting. And I think Jesus' solution is the best. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, there is no reason for we cannot live together. Uh, you know, uh, it's easy to, to say that, and but it has to be de- a determinant in the heart. That's why I believe personally the solution for today everywhere is a change of the heart, a change of the mind change the value system where you see someone as God's creation. You don't see them as Sunni, Shia, Jews, Hindu, you know, Catholic. You don't don't see that. You see them as God's creation and God wants them to know about his Savior, Jesus. So uh, that's in a nutshell what's happening. Uh, The bombing has already expanded to Lebanon because we have a group there called Hezbollah and they're also...
1: The jihadi group, they're based on jihad. But uh, that's a, a really quick encapsulation. You quickly encapsulated dozens and dozens of years, or, or even further than that, I guess. But, um, and so for our listeners, I think that was was very helpful. Um, but a lot of our listeners they're here in the states, and um, that can feel so far away and um, maybe not as practical as far as hey, what do I do with that? Um, so in, in order to kind of end our time being really practical on our side, I'd love you to speak from, um, really this, like, as I think about our average listener, even the average person in America, they say, man, I want to talk to my Muslim brothers and sisters or start a relationship or a conversation. But man, I just feel kind of overwhelmed. There's a lot of terms. I don't know. I don't know what it means, or I don't understand. Like what, what are some good practical, like this is a great spot to start, start here when it comes to being able to be equipped or. Uh, relationship, just talk us through that of just someone that has no idea about any of this stuff, mm-hmm. but I just want to build a relationship and, and see how I can bring Jesus to
0: Yeah, them. Joseph, thank you. And I, let me back the train a little bit to this point, is before we do anything, let's take things to prayer. Let's talk to God first before we talk to people. So I challenge us to make a decision to pray. Maybe you say, I want to pray every day when it's nine, nine o'clock and 11 minutes. I want to pray for a minute, Maybe you want to pray for Muslims every Friday at noon when they're at the mosque. Um, Or you might have a neighbor who's a Muslim or a classmate or a co-worker. Stop praying for them by name. Uh, Go on our website, cphope.org, and join. You can look in. you get an email, how to pray to Muslims. And you can ask questions. Hey, I'm in in, uh, Arkansas. I'm in Texas. I'm in, you know, Seattle. You know, uh, maybe... We can help you connect with people there who are doing ministry the second thing is um do your homework so what happens many times is we meet a muslim we start talking well don't do that just just maybe download a book maybe go to uh, our website with muslims.com and download a book on uh, sharing gs with muslims or connecting with muslims where we look into the, the john chapter four but get yourself prepared because many times When we talk to Muslims, we talk from information we got in in the media or on television or hearsay. It's better to prepare ourselves. So one, start in prayer, go to our website, join our prayer movement. Second, download stuff that you can listen to, videotapes. There's a lot of stuff on our website that you can go through uh, um, online or you can do the Bridges study. And that's very helpful. And then lastly, find ways to connect. So for example... If you know there's a neighbor in your area Muslim, well, find out. Like, Can you, What is there a picnic? Is there something that's happening in the neighborhood? Uh, wh- does he work in your area? Maybe it just pass by and say hello. Or or we did a four four video series on how to be a good neighbor. And maybe you see people moving. Just go get them a pizza and say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood. And you might find out they're Hindu or, or Muslim or just You know, Americans moving from another state, but put yourself in areas where you can meet someone. And if if you don't know anyone, but if you do know someone, it's best to build friendships, listening. And in this time, I'm encouraging people to meet Jewish people in America and Palestinian and Arab. And just listen to them. Listen to them. Listen to the frustrations and even
1: pray with them. Uh, that's all really, really good practical advice for all my practical listeners out there. Um, Fawad, I, obviously we could go on and on for a long yes, time. <laughs> As I said at the beginning, he is, Fawad has a wealth of information, but equally matched with his just passion for people and being able to see the gospel reach others. And so that's going to conclude our time for today. But I'll just leave you with these la- this last thing. Fawad says, hey, let's pray. Let's do our homework. And let's uh, find ways to be able to connect. You'll see all of the websites that were mentioned in this episode in the show notes. And then we will see you guys uh, very, very soon uh, in another couple of weeks as we see what's up next. So thank you, good Thank Bless you. Bless you. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye. Thanks,
0: Thank you for joining us today. To discover more resources, visit multiplyglobal.com. We are committed to helping leaders like you become connected to the relationships and resources you need to multiply God's purpose in your everyday life.